All right, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 20. So hopefully you have your own Bible. If you don't, there's Bibles in uh, uh, the pew in front of you, so feel free to grab one of those as well. Uh, last week, Darla gave me a compliment, and then she turned around and told me something that I forgot. She said, one of your better sermons last week, she said, you just forgot one thing, and that's to read Scripture. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I hope, even though I, we didn't read the Scripture, I hope it made sense to you. We will read the Scripture this time, but we have been looking at the church at Thessalonica and learning from it. I, I have presented it as a model church. First of all, I presented it as a model church plant. In other words, Paul, Silas went to this city and they preached the gospel. They only preached for three or four weeks. Then they, were, they, they had to go because of persecution. They had to leave. And so this church was basically left on its own to try to prosper, to try to preach the gospel. And they were able to do that. Surprisingly enough, after only three, four weeks training, they were, they were able to prosper. And so when Paul uh, has an opportunity to hear from Timothy how this church is doing, he, he finds out that they are doing very, very well. And so they were, in a sense, the model church plant. Uh, Paul and Silas planned a church there. It prospered. And the reason that uh, they did that is, or were able to do that, I think, is that they had a very good church planter, pastor, right? Paul was a pastor there for at least three or four weeks. And he taught them very well. It was evident that the Holy Spirit was at work in this church, in the believers. And so even though it was only three or four weeks that Paul got to spend with them, he was able to plant and successfully plant a church there, which uh, was spreading the gospel to all, all the people around the surrounding area. So before I get too hyped up, let's go ahead and read the scripture, okay? So it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 to 20, and we'll ask you to stand just briefly as we read this scripture and ask God to speak to us. Uh, Paul continues on, he says in verse 13, he says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but of what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Jew Lord Jesus and prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them at last but since we were torn away from you brothers for a short period of time in person not in heart we endeavored the more eagerly and with greater desire to see you face to face because we want to come to you, wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that's been preserved for us, that we have uh, this copy of your words written down by Paul, but given to us for our instruction. We pray that you would help us to learn from this text today. What does it mean 
to have a hope, a crown? Uh, what does it mean to have joy in a, a particular body of believers? And what does that mean for us today? We pray that you would teach us that we might understand. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. Well, I just kind of want to focus upon that question here today. What is your hope? What is your joy? What is your crown? Because it's very evident from the scripture that Paul considered this church, and I'm sure other churches as well, but this church in particular at Thessalonica, he considered them to be his hope, his joy, and his crown of boasting. And so we're going to look at this uh, in detail, and I think it's going to be very informative because each of us probably has something even in our life right now that we might consider to be our hope, our joy, and our crown. For instance, it might be your work. Many people work long hours. They put in extra effort to receive awards or commendations or raises in their work, recognition. And in a sense, that, that job becomes their joy, their hope, and their crown. But is Paul talking about this kind of crown? No. Other people might have a hope or joy or a crown that is their hobby. They spend a lot of money on their hobby. They seek to gain first place in any kind of competition that they might be in. In essence, they're trying to get bragging rights uh, so that they can say that they have done the best in their hobby. Now, is this what Paul's talking about, a hobby? No, he's not talking about a hobby. Some people might think of their hope or their joy or their crown being their retirement, the ability to travel, to go and do whatever you want during your, uh, during your time of retirement. Uh, they might think of it, uh, their joy or their crown might be their money. Uh, John Piper famously wrote a sermon that contained a part of it was people who were retired going down to Florida and as part of their retirement, actually the main part of their retirement was that they went down to collect seashells. And he mentioned this because he thought, what a way to waste a retirement. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you present what you have been able to do because of the gifts that he has given you, do you want to present seashells? Well, the answer, of course, would be no. The answer would be, of course, no. None of us, if we had the opportunity to meet the Lord Jesus Christ, would want to, re to present that kind of thing to them. No, it was, the, it was the Thessalonian church that Paul was talking about, its members were Paul's hope, joy, and crown. And he says that this is before his Lord at his coming. In other words, Paul is anticipating in some way that when he has an opportunity to meet the Lord, whether it's in the rapture or whether it's at his death, that he's going to be able to present the Lord with a gift that is Paul's joy, his hope, and his crown. And he's going to lay that at the feet of Jesus as a way of bragging upon the Lord Jesus. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense because it's not glory that Paul is seeking for himself, but he is seeking glory and honor for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, if we go to the book of Revelation, we don't have to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 4, there's this picture of 24 elders encircling the throne of God 
And at some point, they take off their crowns and they lay them at the feet of their Lord. And this symbolizes exactly what Paul is doing here. Paul has a gift that he wants to give to the Lord Jesus. It's his way of saying, thank you for working in my life. Thank you for allowing me to do this work among the Thessalonians. I now present this at your feet for your glory and for your honor. And so it's a way of presenting your crown of boasting before the Lord. And I believe we have a hope, a joy, and a crown that we will present one day. Amen? Amen. I, I believe that we do. It's not just the Apostle Paul, but it's all Christians who will have this opportunity to lay at the feet, in essence, what they have done with the gifts the Lord has given to them. And so God, I believe, desires for you and I could point to each and every one of you to experience your spiritual hope, joy, and crown. And that's an awesome thing to experience even now, right? If we think about ministry, and we think about each of us are called to be ministers, not just me. I'm the one who kind of has the official title, minister or pastor. But all of us who are Christians, we are ministers ministering to the people who are around us, ministering to the lost by sharing the gospel to them, ministering to the sick by going and visiting or sending cards, ministering to those who have lost loved ones by, uh, by attending their uh, loved ones' funerals. Those are all ways that we minister to people, and we find great joy in those. Amen? We find great joy in those. We think that we're doing it for their benefit, and we are doing it for their benefit, but we end up with the blessing, blessing many times. And so God desires for you to experience your own personal hope, joy, and crown. So what does this mean? The scripture is pretty clear. We'll stick real close to the scripture, but what does it mean? What does it mean that the Thessalonians are Paul's hope? What does that mean when he says, they are my hope? Well, hope in the New Testament has a much more substantial meaning than it does today. Typically, when we say, you know, I hope I win the lottery or I hope I uh, get a raise, it's more akin to a wish, right? It's more akin to a wish. But hope, especially in the New Testament, is an assurance. It's, a, it's how we rest assured that something is going to happen. When we say that Jesus Christ is our hope, we don't, we don't leave any doubt. It's not a wish that Jesus would come back for us. It is our great lasting hope and we rest assured that that actually is going to happen. A hope in the New Testament is, is not akin to a wish. And that's what he's saying about these Christians in Thessalonica. He's saying that his assurance is that the Thessalonians are true believers and are going to be truly saved and will be in heaven with him. And he's going to present them to the Lord Jesus as a means of glorifying Jesus Christ. And so hope means hope. It means a real thing that is going to happen and the Thessalonians are going to be in heaven with Paul. They are also Paul's joy. Paul's joy comes from their New lives, which are a testament to the saving grace of God. I get a little bit of sense here in this scripture that Paul is bragging on the Thessalonians. Do you get that sense? 
Uh, sometimes we kind of avoid using words like being proud of or bragging on someone. But I think he's really bragging upon them. He is so thankful and he takes great joy from the fact that he left them only after only three weeks being spent with them and they are doing the work of the church. They've not only done the work of the church, but they're, they're being imitators for other churches to come and see how are you doing things so well. And so Paul is taking great joy in knowing that they have been saved, but also that their lives have changed and they are truly reflecting what the Christian life is supposed to be. Their lives really have changed and they are spreading and living out the gospel amongst everyone that they can come into contact with. Finally, they are Paul's crown of boasting. What is a crown of boasting? Sounds pretty impressive. Have you ever had a crown? I don't know if I've ever really had a crown. I've tried on crowns. Maybe when you think of a crown, you think of prom king or queen. Maybe the closest we've come to actually wearing a crown. But a crown, of course, is a symbol of majesty, honor, glory, and also for athletes who are given a crown, it was a symbol of victory. And so Paul is saying, you are my crown of boasting. You finished, you started out in this faith, you carried out the faith and lived the faith, and you are going to finish the race, you are going to finish the faith. You are my victory crown. And so I, I can imagine that this is going to be a very pleasing gift that is given to God. And so that tells us a little bit about what does it mean to be a hope, a crown, or a joy, a crown of boasting. But then I think we need to answer the question, why is the Thessalonian church considered to be Paul's hope, joy, and crown of boasting? In other words, why, why is he a bragging about them? And some of this we've talked about before because this chapter is very similar to chapter 1. But the Thessalonians, when Paul came and spoke to them, even though it was only for three weeks, they really heard the word of God. It's right there in the scripture. That he is thankful that when you received the word of God in verse 13, when you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but that which it really is. It's the word of God which is working in you. And so to just kind of break it down into sections, they really heard the word of God. It didn't go in one ear and out the other, right? You ever done that? Been trying to listen to someone, they're telling you a story, your mind is on something, in, on, on something else, and we try to listen the best we can, but it goes in one ear and right out the other, and you don't remember it, you don't comprehend it. The Thessalonians were not like that. They were captivated by this word. They, they not only had the minds to listen and understand the gospel, but they had the heart to understand the meaning of the message of Christ. God, you see, God had done a work in their heart. And this is evident that he had done a work in their heart. People just don't understand the message of the gospel without the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And you say, well, is that really true? Yes, it's true. Just think of Lydia. There was a person of Lydia. This is in the book of Acts. She was from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods. She was a worshiper of God. But when Paul was speaking to her, the scripture says very clearly, clearly that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. 
You see, God is a God of salvation. Amen? Amen? Our Lord is the Lord of salvation. He provides everything that we need for our salvation. Even as we were talking about this morning, He, re, he, he provides our faith and then we exercise it, but He provides our faith. He provides everything. And that's why we call the new covenant an unconditional covenant. All of the, all of the conditions are provided by God. And we merely receive what He has given to us. And so these Thessalonians, their hearts were open to the Holy Spirit. And when they heard the Word of God, they were able to understand it. And they took it seriously. Their hearts were prepared. They really received the message of Jesus as the Word of God. They, they not only heard it, they not only understood it. But their attitude wasn't, well, ho-hum, you know, I've kind of heard this story before which sadly we can have that attitude sometimes right in church we do hear things over and over again and we repeat things so that we can learn them but sometimes we can have the attitude well I've heard that before what difference does it make but I I think of them as being like the people whom James was writing to which we studied this last week uh, James says that we must be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. They didn't have this ho-hum attitude. They heard the word of God and they said, this is the word of God. Our ears better perk up. We better listen. We better pay attention because they may tell us something that we need to be doing that is the will of God. And that's a great attitude to have, right? Amen. It is dangerous, according to James, to hear the Word of God but not respond to it. We learned this Wednesday night. We probably learned it many times before, right? But we had to emphasize Wednesday night. To hear the Word of God and then not do it, you are just deceiving yourselves as to whether you are right with God. You're just deceiving yourselves. And so we want to make sure that we hear the Word of God. We want to respect it as the Word of God and coming from Him. And so our ears need to pick up, need to perk up a little bit, and we need to be intentional about what is in this message, what is in this Sunday school lesson that I need to obey in order to be right with God. Now, this doesn't mean that our salvation comes from our good works. It just really means that those people who are truly saved will listen to the Word of God and have a desire for obedience. And so the Thessalonians, they heard the Word of God, then they really heard it because they considered it the Word of God. But then finally, they endured suffering for the sake of the Gospel. They endured suffering for the sake of the Gospel. They suffered just as the church in Judea had suffered. And Paul tells us this in the Scripture that we read, that they went through pers persecution, suffering, just like the Jews did in Judea who had accepted Jesus Christ, suffering came to these Gentiles, and yet they persecuted, they, they persevered through that. And so this is why they were a crown of boasting. They imitated, I think I said this earlier, but they imitated the other churches, the churches in Judea, and that may give us a little bit of clue of how they did so well. Uh, because they, they did have the, the example of the churches in Judea. They suffered, 
because of their own people, just as the Jews suffered because of those who rejected the prophets and Jesus and drove them out of Judea. And so they remained true to the gospel, despite the fact that Paul was torn away from them at a pivotal time. And so we see here that they are Paul's hope, crown, and joy. And I think coming back and getting ready to close, it tells us that we need to have a hope, a joy, and a crown in our life. And what is that for you guys? You know, maybe it's your ministry in this church. Maybe it's going to be uh, your family members whom you share Christ and you have an opportunity to be a spiritual leader for them. Maybe it's an opportunity that you have work to start a Bible study at work and lead some people into understanding what it means to have Christ as your Savior. There are many, many ways that we can reach out. And that's really what this is about, right? Reaching out, being faithful what God has given us. There's another parable that I'll just mention real briefly. You remember the parable of the talents where one servant is given, I believe, ten talents. Uh, another servant is given five and another person is given one. And the master says, basically, invest this and I'm going to come back and I'm going to see what you produce out of this. And so he comes back and the person who has ten, I think, gets ten more talents. The person who has five gets five more talents. And he comes to the person who had one talent, and the talent is a piece of money. We're not talking about musical talent, but... And that person had dug a hole and put it in, you know, in the hole for safekeeping or had put it in the bank. And basically all they had to give back to the Lord Jesus was one talent. Well, this story is similar to this. We have the ability to use what God has given to us, the gifts that He has given to us, the ability to read Scripture, uh, the ability to teach, the, the ability to lead music, the ability to serve. So many different ways He has given us talents. And He's asking us, will you invest those in the kingdom of God so that when I come back, you will have something to give to me as a way of a hope, a joy, or a crown. And so I just ask you today, what is your hope? What is your joy? What is your crown? Or better yet, who is your hope? Who is your joy? Who is your crown of boasting? The only thing that is going to last through the judgment are those things that are eternal, right? And that's the lives of men and women and children. And so let's invest our lives in them and not the things of the world. As we close here today, I want to be sure and make sure that we understand what it means to be a Christian. We go through this pretty frequently, so I think we'll understand this, but we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen? Amen. We believe that He was God who in the flesh came and was born to a woman, that He was born uh, perfectly and without sin, and He grew up and He never once committed a sin against His Heavenly Father. Amen. And this was so that He could go to the cross and be an acceptable sacrifice in substitute for our sins. You see, I, I can look out across people here I don't even know, but I can tell this about you, and maybe you already know it, but you have sinned against God. In some way, you have sinned against God. And it's not up to me to judge you for that, but 
it is up to me as a pastor, as a preacher of the gospel, to tell you that that sin causes a separation between you and God. Just like this book, I'm on one side, God is on the other side. There's something between us, and that is my sin. There's something that has to be done for that in order for us to be reconciled to God. In, in order for us to be good with God again, to be in fellowship with God. And the remedy, of course, is Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God, but was born as a man, lived a perfect life, and He was the perfect person to be a sacrifice for our sins. And He willingly did that. He wasn't forced to do by Satan. He wasn't forced to do by God, but He volunteered for that. He volunteered to go to a cross and endure the suffering and the shame of being hung on a cross. And he died. He literally died. He didn't swoon. He didn't just pass out. He literally died and was placed in a tomb where he was there for three days. But he rose again. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Let's hear a shout. He rose again. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> he rose again. And that's where our great hope is. Is that he rose again. What? When He rose again, that means God the Father says, yes, that sin is acceptable to Me. Death can no longer hold Jesus, and He rose from the dead. And today, He stands ready to intercede for every person who will place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, turning away from their sin and turning toward God. And so that's what it means to be Christian. It means to forsake everything and to follow after Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you can do that today. There's no special ceremony that has to take place. There's no special Sunday that it has to be. You can do that right here today. You can do it at home. But if you are here today, I would plead with you, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, that you would do that today as we go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to hear the gospel, the glorious gospel, the good news gospel that says that our sin no longer needs to stand in our way. But if we've heard the message of Jesus Christ, faith will come alongside, we'll place our faith and trust in Christ, and we can know Christ and know God once again, being reconciled, being forgiven of our sin, being bought back with the price of Jesus' own blood, and be right with God. And that rightness lasts throughout all eternity. If we believe correctly, if we give ourselves over to Christ, if we are truly saved, then He commits Himself to us and He says that He will never leave us nor forsake us, and that He will complete the work that He starts now all the way up until the time where He comes back. And so we pray that if there are those here today who have made that decision, are making that decision right now, that they would just step out of their aisle, come up front and let us know about that so that we can pray for them and rejoice with them. We pray also for us who know Christ, that our minds would be so heavenly minded that rather than thinking about temporal, earthly hopes, joys, and crowns that we would be thinking about eternal hopes, joys, and crowns. We would be thinking about people that we could share Christ with and make a difference in their lives. Father, we pray that you would help us to do this and that your Holy Spirit would come upon us now and help us in our time of need.
We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.